Super. Okay. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to Ephesians uh, or journals uh, to Ephesians chapter two. And we're going to jump straight in. So Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which You're going to want to unmute, Josh. Sorry, did I mute myself there? I'll go back from the beginning. Okay, so two, verse one, right from the beginning. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them wow another amazing scripture another amazing piece of scripture and as paul starts this chapter he kind of in the first few verses poses a problem and i think if we are being honest it's actually quite a scary piece of scripture if we read it and actually take it in what he is saying is actually quite scary. So the first thing is he is saying that we were dead. And notice he's not talking to other people, ignoring us, but he's very much aiming this at us. He says you, talking, of course, to the Christians in Ephesus, in Asia Minor, but also talking to us. You were dead. So he's talking to us But also he's talking to, if we go a bit further on, the rest of mankind. So he's talking to your neighbours. He's talking to our colleagues, to our loved ones, to our family, to our friends, to the people who we play sport with or go to running club with. He's talking to everyone. And he says that we were or are dead. And if we actually let that impact us, that's actually really quite a scary thing to read. And it's not, of course, that we were dead physically. We are alive, of course. We're physically alive. But that we were dead, that we couldn't see the glory of Christ. We were unresponsive to God. We were unresponsive to the Spirit. We couldn't see God. If Jesus kind of waved at us, we wouldn't have been able to see him because we were dead. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, 
Paul explains it slightly different, but he says that the natural person, okay, the person who's not a believer in Jesus, is not able to accept the things of the Spirit of God. Not that, not that they're sitting on the fence and they can see the things and, you know, they're kind of like making up their mind, but very much that they are not able to, that you are dead to the things of God. Paul then goes on. It's not just death. He says, not only that, but you were walking away from God. This is something, walking is something that Paul goes on to develop as he goes through the book. But in this context, he's saying you were walking away from God. You were, you were following the, the, the culture in which you lived. You were, you were doing what the culture said you should do, not what God said you, would do, you should, should do. You were following your own desires. You were following what your body said you should do not what god says you should do you were following your own thoughts your own desires your own priorities not god's and then he goes even so you're actually even following the enemy himself the prince of the power of the air you are you're walking in the opposite direction to god and then he lays it on even more he says and you know what you even were born into this you were born as children of wrath so even on your best day, even when you're being the nicest possible person you can be, you were still very much a child of wrath. You were born into Adam. You were born into sin. After the incredible heights of Ephesians 1, Paul really lands us with some reality of who we once were and who many people in this city are today and it's scary and this should motivate us these words should upset us these are powerful powerful things these are the people that we work with these are the people that we love and these words should do something in us we should see that there is a big problem here and Paul puts it out there they should move us into action but then Paul brings the solution to the problem we get on to these wonderful words which present the solution to this problem of death of walking away from God of being by very nature children of wrath and the solution is two words and it's the solution that Lloyd-Jones calls the message of Christianity. Folks, friends, brothers, sisters, this is the message of Christianity. Two words. But God. But God. That is the message that we have. Generally, when we have a problem we try to fix it ourselves. We live with a gospel that's slightly different. We live in a culture and perhaps even in our own mind of a, of a, of a but you gospel. Okay, so we see a problem, perhaps it's global warming or, or COVID or health issues or financial issues. And then we say, whatever that problem is, we put a but you in, but you changed the way you drove. You stopped eating so much beef. 
you wore a mask, you kept your distance, you started a healthy diet and running, and you got a hold on your finances, and then you were better. And then global warming slowed down, the COVID slowed down, the health got better. It's a but you message, a but you gospel. It's the message of humanism. Humanists would say, we just need to learn from our past mistakes and become better people for a better future. It's about us. One day we will get there. We're not quite there yet, but one day we will get there. We just need to learn from all of our mistakes. It's a but you message. And it's not only the message of humanism, it's the message of many other religions. You were, you were, you were making God angry. God didn't like what you were doing. You weren't giving, you weren't praying, you weren't being a good person, but you, but you started praying. You started giving. You started attending whatever meeting it was on a regular basis and giving to the poor. And then your good works outweighed your bad works and God became happy with you. But it's not because of God. It's because of the but you gospel. But you changed. You started putting in a whole bunch of effort. In fact, the last words of the Buddha literally on his deathbed, the last words that he spoke all those years ago can roughly be translated for, uh, into English by saying all things in this world are changeable. Nothing lasts. And then he said this, work hard to gain your salvation. Work hard to gain your salvation. Those are the last words of the Buddha to his followers. Work hard gain your salvation. It is the but you gospel. The Christian message doesn't say that. The Christian message flies in the face of humanism. It flies in the face of all other religions. The Christian message, in fact, says that but you is exactly the problem. You are the problem. You are dead. You are a child of wrath. In Isaiah, we read words like this. Our righteous deeds, the best things that we can do, our most righteous deeds, our best things are like a polluted garment. He's saying that they are like a dirty, soiled nappy. Or in fact, and I'm sorry to be crude, but the specific translation of what he was saying is that your best things are like a used tampon. That's what he's saying. That's what Isaiah says about the best things that you do, that your righteous deeds are like a used tampon. We bring nothing except dirt, death, decay. And the only way out of the problem is not us trying to become more righteous, but accepting a grace-filled, loving, merciful God and these two words, but God. This is the Christian message, but God. God makes us alive. We were spiritually dead. We brought nothing to the table except dirt, and God makes us alive. In John 3, uh, Jesus says these words to Nicodemus, uh, a teacher, a leader of the, uh, of the Pharisees, of the Jews. He says, you must be born again. 
in three five, and in fact in three sorry in three seven, and then in three five he says you must be born of the spirit. You are spiritually dead. No, no matter what good efforts you put in, O Pharisee, you are dead. You must be born again. John Piper, in his really brilliantly named Finally Alive uh, book, says this towards the end. Jesus's words, you must be born again, go to the heart of the world's problems. There will be no final peace, no final justice, no triumph over hate and selfishness and racism without this profound change in human nature. All other diagnoses and remedies are superficial. They may even be valuable, like laws that restrain people from doing their worst. But without the new birth, people are not changed at the root. And that is where the problem lies. If human beings are not changed at the root, then our innate selfishness will spoil every dream, everything. And I think fascinatingly, this has been highlighted in this, in this season that we are living through. I think at first, when we heard the news of COVID and the threat of life to everyone, people panic buyed and they, and they stayed at home and they followed all the restrictions because they never knew it could be you who ends up dying from COVID. But I think as research has come out and as we've seen, actually, no, it's, it's not probably going to be me. I'm, I'm in my early 30s, 40s, 50s. Actually, it's the older people. What we've seen is people starting shopping, people going out, people not following the restrictions so much because there is an innate selfishness in us. Oh, well, it's not going to affect me. And I think even as countries as a whole, as, as this incredible good news of the vaccines slowly coming online, what countries have done, instead of making sure that every country gets a fair amount, all the poorer countries, the countries that don't have the same access to wealth, what countries have done is started to hoard up enough for themselves, keeping for themselves rather than making sure everyone gets a fair share. You see, there is an issue at the very fabric of who we are. And we don't just need to change a couple of thought patterns. We need to be born again. And Paul goes on to explain why God does this. Why does God do this? Why doesn't he just kind of leave us to be? I mean, we are, we're dead. We're to hit like this holy, perfect, spotless, perfect, beautiful God. We're dead. We're dirty. Why does he bother? I wonder if you ever ask yourself that question. Why? We often ask the question, why haven't you saved this person? Perhaps we should start asking the question, why have you saved anyone? Because we're so dirty. We were so dead. But we find the answer to that amazing question in that God loved us because of his great love. You see, there is a longing in the heart of God for humanity. He sees our problem. He sees we are dead. He knows that. He knows we're without hope. And it breaks him. He moves out of compassion. It's something that we see as as the word becomes flesh, as Jesus comes to earth and walks amongst us, we see him as a person who is moved with compassion time and time and time again. He could just walk by, but he stops, he prays, he teaches, he releases. Moved with compassion. God is a God of love. This is 
God's character. This is who God is. He's a God of love. And we see that love coming to us in grace. By grace, you have been saved. Salvation, this being made alive, is purely a gift of grace, motivated by his love, but purely out of grace. It's been so good to hear the contributions this morning, and even the song choice from Al. It is all of grace. We need to understand that. Salvation is a work of grace. It's constantly emphasized by Paul. We're going to come back to it again and again in Ephesians. We can go to a different book. We can go to the Old Testament. We're going to see grace intertwined in everything that God does. He is a God of grace. In fact, it's what Nina said earlier, wasn't it? It's what Chloe said. This is all about grace. And Jesus' last words were very different to Buddha's. Buddha's last words, what were they? Work hard for your salvation. Try your best. Jesus's last words, it is finished. The words of grace from an amazing saviour. So as we sort of look to wrap up, I want to look at three practical ways to how being made alive changes us. And first of all, I think very simply that being made alive by grace, out of God's love, like it, it, it changes who we are. It's why we called this series Alive. There, there was many different titles that you could have called an Ephesians series. Identity, I think, being one of the top choices. But we decided on Alive because in Ephesians, there is this scripture where we see there is a new birth. There's an old and there is a new. And in the new birth, there's a, there's a life change. There's, there's a change of thoughts patterns there's a change of desires that life will look different you are now a different creation and Paul I'm not going to talk too much about this because Paul goes on to talk a lot about this but I want to encourage you to hold on to look at what the scripture says because there are things in this book both in Ephesians and through the scripture that are different to what the culture says the way that we treat our body the way that we live in relationships the way that we the way we use our money the culture says this, now we are alive, we look to what God says. And in the book, there are some things that are maybe different to you. And so I want to encourage you to be open. Let's be open. I want to encourage you to invite the spirit to highlight things in your life that perhaps is, is, your life hasn't quite changed as you would expect it to. And you're not seeing quite the fruit that you'd have hoped to. Let's open our minds and our hearts to the Holy Spirit to change our lives as we go through this book. You will see life change. You are now a new creation. The old way of living will be changed. I remember driving along after coming back to God, listening to some music that was probably very bad. And uh, I can't, maybe it was drum and bass or something loud. And I used to like love it and sort of driving along like this with a head rocking and, uh, and absolutely loved it. And then after I listened to it after I came back to Christ and suddenly some of the words just hurt my ears it was like I can't listen to this there's something wrong with this and my life had been changed and that's not to say we don't go on sinning and making mistakes of course we do but it's what do we do when we make mistakes do we do we think ah it's okay it's grace it's all good or do we live a life that's trying to please God do we say no I've made a mistake this is not what my life should look like this is what my life did look like but I want to be a child of God I understand I've been made alive 
I want to please you, God. And so we should see life change in our lives. We're people of a different kingdom, as we found out last week, with a different king. That means our life should look different. Uh, secondly, we are seated in heavenly places. So being made alive with Christ, right now we are seated in heavenly places. This is something that Paul touches on in Ephesians 1, uh, both in terms of us being blessed in heavenly places and also as we get towards the end of Ephesians 1, but towards Jesus, that Jesus is seated in heavenly places above all authority and rule and power and dominion and above every name that in this age and the age to come. Jesus is in the heavens. He is in complete authority. He is the king. And just as we are united in Christ, just as we are in Christ, in the plane, in both his death and resurrection, we are also united with him in his ascension. Paul talks about this. He says, you have been seated in heavenly places. And to be honest, when I was preparing this, I had to keep on, I had my notes, and I was right, I had to keep on rereading this and make sure that I was not saying heresy or something, because it seems like incredible, like it just almost doesn't seem right. But we read it right here, that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. This is an amazing truth. Christ is in all authority. We find that out in Ephesians 1. We are seated with him in all authority. That means we get a share of his authority because we are in him, not out of works, not because we are good or anything like that, but because of what Christ has done. So right now we have a share of Christ's authority. Everything that Christ did, said, won on the cross, in his resurrection, in his ascension, we get to take a part in because we're in Christ, we're in the heavenly places. It's incredible. And then finally, just as we land uh, this morning, we're trophies of grace. We are trophies of grace. Paul finishes the part that we are looking at today by saying, in the coming ages, God might show, or you could say display, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is why he has made us alive, so that we may show the grace of God. This is why you have been made alive. We are trophies of God's grace today, here in Gothenburg, wherever you're watching this, and into eternity. What are you? You're a trophy of God's grace. This whole passage, this whole book, the whole gospel, the whole scripture is wrapped up in grace. Grace is everywhere. In fact, one of the songs that we sang at the beginning is, it's not just grace for salvation. It's grace through every day of life and it's grace into eternity we will show God's grace for all of eternity it's one thing we have been called to do Bruce says this throughout time and into eternity the church the society of pardoned rebels is designed by God to be the masterpiece of his goodness in raising Christ in Ephesians 1, we see this. God shows his immeasurable power. In raising us, God shows his immeasurable grace. We are trophies of grace. It's who we are. We're not going to get past that. We don't start working 
once we get in. Okay, life is life changes, but we, it's all out of grace. We see even that even our life change is a work of God. We'll see that next week. It is all of grace. So we start this chapter with terrible news that we were dead, that we were walking away, that we were children of wrath. Then God steps in. But God, not our own effort, purely God's. He makes us alive. And now we are seated with him in the heavenly places and we will be now and forevermore trophies of his grace we will shout the grace of god with everything that we do it's good stuff eh ephesians is such a good book it's such a helpful book i'm looking forward to finishing this series so that we can start our next series in ephesians just going to go around and around so much good stuff in it really is I'm going to hand over to Al, who is going to lead us in one last song um, as we finish. Great. Thank you, Josh. Wonderful. Yeah, we're going to sing uh, a song we've not sung in a while, um, quite a while, but hopefully uh, many of you will know it. Singing the victory of Christ and his life-giving power toward us. The head that once was crowned with thorns. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The Savior now to wash our feet. Now at his in and shame now robed in majesty the radiance of perfect love now shines for all to see your name your name 